I was thinking this past week about an experience I had when I was in college. I was in a, a college group at my church in, uh, in the Midwest in Missouri. And we decided to take a canoe trip and uh, on the weekend. And, um, and so we, uh, uh, you know, got a bunch of us and went out there. And it had been raining in Missouri just on and on and on and on. And, and uh, for that reason, the, the rivers were really high and, uh, and, and dangerous. You know, in a canoe, it's, it's volatile anyway. Put a moron in a canoe and it's even worse. Put a moron in a canoe on a rushing river. It's just, you know, you can, you can feel the disaster coming. So um, we were uh, we were you know doing our best to keep the canoes afloat and going down the river and there's this canoe that was not in our group came by and and let's just say they they were having too uh, good of a time uh, they had had too many tasty beverages along the way and you could tell um, and uh, so they they came past us and we think man that you know uh, that's that's probably more dangerous than a moron in a canoe on a raging river. And uh, sure enough, we came around the bend, and their their canoe had slammed up against this big stump that was right in the middle of the, the river. The water was just rushing over the top of it. And sure enough, one of the guys, were they were they he was pinned up against the trap on that stump, the water. And just to give you an idea, the water was rushing so much that the canoe had started to bend, just to give you an idea. So we're a Christian group, and so we decided, well, let's, we gotta be Christian. So when we came by them, we just shouted, you shouldn't have been drinking. And then we just <laughs> kept on going. You know, threw them a New Testament, you know? No, we, we, uh, we stopped. Yeah, and we navigated up to the, you know, to the stump and, and got, and we just, we reached and just, took that guy by his soaking wet shirt and we were just trying to lift him up on that stump and we did and I think we may have saved his life and I thought about it you know later on that day I'm like wow I would have never dreamed of being that in, in those moments there are those times where you just become something greater than who you think you are a rescuer me I mean, when I looked in the mirror that morning, I didn't, I'm going on a canoe trip. I mean, and I think they fake you out, you know, where you rent the canoes. It's like really, it's really kind of uh, calm. They don't tell you, hey, down the river, you're going to have big trouble, you know, because they want to rent a canoe. I would have never thought when I was, you know, paddling in the still waters that I'm going to rescue somebody and save their life. I think the same must have been true for Todd Beamer on September 11, 2001, when he was shaving that morning, looking into the mirror. I'm, I'm guessing that he didn't see himself as one that would ram a snack cart in the cockpit of an airline jet to take it down to the ground to save whoever knows who in, the, in perhaps the White House or, or uh, one of the buildings that the, the, the terrorists intended to take down. I'm sure that when he looked in the mirror, he didn't see that, but his infamous words, roll, that's roll, have now become part of the fabric of this country of what it means to live beyond who you think you are. You see, those are the moments in life where we just kind of rise up to the occasion, so to speak. You've experienced them, maybe not on an epic level, maybe so. But even in life when we have those moments where we take on a new job, and it's a new identity, and we have to kind of grow into that. And we think, well, maybe I'm not a manager, but this is a manager job, a management job. And somehow we just grow up into that. 
Perhaps you're a parent. You know that moment when you first had a, a child. I was talking to um, our, our missionaries, Rob and Audrey Chestnut. Uh, they're missionaries to Czech Republic. They'll be in just in a couple of weeks, by the way. We're having jazz night on December 6th. They'll be here just in time for that. So if you haven't met them, they're wonderful. They just had a new baby. And Rob and I were talking. We've been Skyping back and forth. And I said, Rob, because he's, you know, he's, you know how it is with your first child. You've taken, you know, by the first, by the end of the, the, the first week, you've taken 14,000 pictures. And then, you know, the second one comes along and we took one, I think. And uh, that just it changes, but you don't love them any less. It's just so excited. And I said, Rob, don't you know that the, the minute before you had your child, before the child was delivered and the minute after the child was delivered, they're galaxies apart. If you've never experienced that, they're galaxies apart. I remember uh, because I'm an older dad, I uh, was single for a number of years and going to college and then I met my, my bride and then we decided not to have kids for eight years and to kind of get to know each other. It took a little while for her to get to know me, as you can tell. And then um, we had a child and so I remember we had bought this uh, rocker recliner thing for the, the child to be. And, and I was sitting there before our son, first son was born. And I was rocking and I'm like trying to philosophically get my head into like, man, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. And I don't know what to do. I've, I, I literally never held a baby in my life. And, and, uh, and, and never had changed the diaper and never wanted to. And I mean, all, all those things. And then. There's something that happens in that first minute that God has engineered us in such a way that we just come up into it and like, I'm a dad, I'm a dad. And, and you just start being a dad. Sometimes I'm still looking in the mirror. I'm like, I'm a dad, I'm a dad. You know, my son, by the way, used to come in uh, when he was four and five and I'd walk through the door and he was like, daddy, that, you know, just yell one word, daddy. I walk in the other door uh, the other day, um, the front door, I walk in and he comes up. He's still saying one word, but now it's changed. What's up? I'm like, sup? What, what is that? What is, what's up? I guess it's what's up, but sup? He's like, kind of kicked his head back. Sup? And walks, I mean, wow, times have changed. I'm like, I'm, am I a dad? I don't, who is this? Things change like that and they change our perspective in just a, a moment. I think it's those moments that we intersect with that literally can change the way we think. Somebody posted a film this week on Facebook that I saw, and I thought, man, it does take these minutes. It takes these intersections that can just change our mind. I want you to take a look, see if you relate. You know, you kind of wish that we had these epic moments every week. 
because they would allow us to, to move higher, to be a rescuer, to be a hero, to, to fight off those things. We're not talking about that today because I think God will naturally take care of that in your life. When those things come up, you'll rise up into them. The hardest thing for us is Monday through Friday. It's the Monday that leads to Tuesday, that leads to Wednesday, that leads to Thursday, and that leads to Friday with no epic intersections. And then we reduce ourselves to the treadmill. We define ourselves by just what's regular. And we think of ourselves like I'm just a, an average Joe and, and I can't really, I'm not designed to do anything great. Don't know if you saw the news this week, the tragic news of a high school football player. He uh, was in a play and he went back, his head hit the, the ground and, and one thing that led to the next and he lost his life. But his coach stood up and he spoke at his funeral and he said, look, this kid, he was only five foot five and he only weighed, even when he was wet, 115 pounds. He said these words though. He said, but he played 10 times his size. I love that. You see, when I look at, I, I, I read those words that he played 10 times his size. I'm like, isn't it true that in this life, sometimes that we only play up to our size or up to the fixed idea of who we are, our identity. And many times we only play under that. We only play a hundred pounds instead of even the 115 where a kid like this, he played a ton. He played a thousand pounds, 2000 is a ton. I knew that, but he, he played beyond that. You see, in our life, it's so easy to allow our past to dictate our present and our future. You have no idea how I've blown it in life, you might say, and I would say. The chapters in my life where I'm like, gosh, you know what? I'm unusable. Somebody might say, you never know, the, you, know you don't know the background, how I've screwed it up, and therefore I'm that the rest of my life. I'm that now. Some people say, I'm divorced, and it's, I guess I'm shelved as far as being usable by God. Some people say, I'm, I've been greedy. I really wrestle with that. Many men have struggled and still struggle with pornography, and they think, oh, gee, I can't, there's, I can't get beyond this. So I'm just, I'm, I'm a nothing for God. I can't ever be used. And somehow we bolt these ideas into our, our, our minds, and God would say to us, you have read the scripture where I use Moses, the fugitive, where I've used Abraham who had given up on himself. I've used all these men and women who of themselves, they had tied the knot, they had locked the door and they had thrown it all away and say, I am who I am for the rest of my life. And God says, I want you to rethink that. I invite you to rethink that. In our lives, we often take personality profiles. Don't know if you've ever taken one. I love them. I think they, they are extremely valuable particularly when there's someone to help coach you through them, to help understand who you are. My wife and I took one, the MBTI. Many of you might know that, the Myers-Briggs test. It tells you kind of how, how you tick and how you work and all that. There's the DIST test. There's a lot of different tests. And when I took the test, when we were getting ready to get married, I thought, this is silly. It's asking me questions like, if you were at a party, would you like to stand there by yourself like a lampshade? Would you like to talk to one other person? Would you like to be the life of the party? I'm like, this is crazy. Then I got the results back, both she and 
and I got the results back. I'm like, did you talk to the tester? Because, I mean, it's got me nailed exactly who I am. It's a great thing, and we've used it in our marriage to understand why she does what she does and why I do what I do. It's, it's, it's fantastic. However, every good thing also has a flip side. We can look at ourselves, and here's who we are. For example, I score as an introvert. And I could say, well, I'm an introvert, comma, therefore, comma, I don't talk to people. I don't interact with people because I've boxed myself in to a notion instead of saying, well, you're an introvert, therefore, you'll grow in certain areas that may be tough for you. I read an article on it this week. This author, this writer uh, writes these words. He says, here's the kicker with pro- personality profiles. In my experience, experience, cognitive awareness, that's what we're talking about, being aware of who you are, has the possibility of cementing a fixed notion of self and any personal exploration of what I might be. Perhaps I could play like 116 pounds instead of 115. Nah, I'm just 115 instead of playing 10 times my size. Any personal exploration now occurs within the narrow confines of who we think we are. And see, once we believe this is who I am, then guess what? We start to act like that. And when we act like that, we then become that. Oh, I'm just 115. That's all I got. I'm a loser. I'm a quitter. I'm a, I'm, I'm hooked on this. I did this. You have no, and, the, and that's my parameter. And I begin to act like that. And God says, Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's much bigger than that. In fact, Proverbs 23 verse 7 says it this way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, what would it be like if you played out your faith 10 times the size of what you think you are in Christ. Now, let me make sure that we're very, very, very clear. This is not a message on the power of positive thinking. I think it, therefore I am. If that were true, I would be doing a 100 pull-ups. I'm doing zero currently. But if I just think it, I, you know, now I'm all for positive thinking. Paul says, hey, think on these things, things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy. I think that's, that's awesome. But never fall into the trap that just because I think it, it's going to happen. Just because I say it, it's going to happen. At the end of the day and at the beginning of the day, the last time I checked, God is God and he has the first and the last say. Just because I say this is going to happen, God's going to say, You ain't God in some kind of format. He'll give it to you pretty straight up. What I am thinking and what I am proposing to you today is not by what we define ourselves as, but what God defines ourselves and believing what his definition or in this case, his redefinition is of us. You see, God came along. He redefined a Moses who had limited himself. To the backside of the desert saying, this is who I am. I've blown it. I've killed a man. I've murdered a man. I've committed a capital crime. And I will just stay here and rot the rest of my life on the backside of the desert. And God says, no, think differently. Let me redefine you. And often when God redefined a person in the scripture, 
he renamed that person because he says, I want you to have a new definition. I want you to have a new understanding of who I see you. You see on the scale 115 pounds. I'm seeing 2,000. Will you live up into that? Will you believe it? So you start acting like it, Moses. And once you start acting like who I've made you, then you'll become that. I'm thinking about Abram. That was his initial name. See, Abram thought he was a thing of the past. God came along and changed his name to Abraham. He was a thing of the future. He was a nation of the future. You remember when God came to Jacob, he was a stealer. He was a thief. He was a, sn- a snatcher. He was a grabber. And, and, and so his, that's what his name meant. God came to him and, and Jacob saw himself as that bad apple. God changed his name to Israel who became the apple of God's eye. Christ encountered Simon and, and he, and he saw him and he said, look, I know that you see yourself as a fisherman, just like probably your dad, like his dad, like his dad, like his dad. And humanly speaking, you have made yourself 115 pounds and that's all you're playing to Peter or Simon. You are a fisherman. I don't want you to be a singular person. I want you to be a plural person. I want to make you a fisherman of many men. I want to call you Cephas. I want to call you Peter. In fact, we see this in the first chapter of John in verse 20 and 42. John 1, 42. Jesus looked at Simon and he said, you are Simon, son of John. File that for a minute. We'll come back. You will be called now redefined as Cephas, which when translated as Peter from Petros, which means the rock. You see, they didn't have last names back then. They didn't use them, at least when they wrote the scriptures. It wasn't like Simon McCoy. It was Simon, son of John. In other words, that was your human descent. I know you're thinking of yourself only as son of John. And Simon, listen, you know what the word Simon means? He has heard. He has heard. You see, when I read that, I thought, golly, isn't it true for us as believers That so many of us, we know the stories, we know the epic heroes of scripture, and we're living a life of Simon where we go, oh, I've heard that. Now, I'm not becoming a rock. I'm not becoming a Cephas. I'm not becoming, I'm not allowing God to redefine, but I've heard it. I've watched the movie and God is saying, hey, I don't want you to live your entire life just watching the movie of epic heroes. I want you to be in the movie. But it doesn't happen naturally. We need canoes in a rushing river. We need terrorists in a plane. We need uh, cattle and an alligator. We need those moments. But they often don't come. So we have to at times allow our minds to say, Okay, God, I'm going to remind myself of who you have defined me to be. Because, see, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at a guy like um, Simon, and he would have lived his life like that the rest of his life. This guy that wrote the article about um, personality profiles, he goes on to say this. He's looking for leaders. That was the point of the article. He says, I'm interested in the leader who exhibits true personal range. In other words, he sees something beyond himself. Not the leader with a fixed self sense of self 
I'm interested, this guy writes, in a bold exploration of all that we are and might be. Let us switch for a moment from cognitive language, this is who I am, this is who I'll always be, to performance language, shall we? He says, you have to act like it. You see, Moses could have remained a Simon like, I got the message. You want me to go and speak to someone else. I totally understand that. I got it. I've read it. I've heard it. But he had to act like God had called him. He had to move out of where he cognitively saw himself. Abraham, the same thing. God is talking to this older man. He says, I'm going to have, you're going to have a child. Well, he had to act on it. I'm not going into any further detail than that. He had to act on it. Some of you are like, I didn't get that. You'll get it on the way home. There, there are kids in the room. In other words, he couldn't have just said, okay, I'll be a father of many nations and just stay in the recliner. He had to get out and, and, uh, and, and moving on to Jonah. Uh, no. In other words, once we understand that God has defined us in such a way, we have to not only remain a Simon and just believe it and hear it, we have to also act on it. I, I'm reminded in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 of these words. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Man, that's tough, is it not? It's tough to, to rethink and allow us to be redefined in the way that we think. And then Paul writes in, in verse 2, Then... And I would say, and only then, once you allow God to redefine, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, not your will, his good, per pleasing, and perfect will. Now, you may be thinking at this point, okay, um, I'm open. I'm a Simon. I want to hear. I want to be a Moses. I want to act. What are the things that God would define me as? The thing that's past the 115 pounds. What is it that God, if, if you were to say, Steve, how does God define me? What does he want me to do in this lifetime? Well, first of all, there are some uniqueness to each of us. He calls me to do something that he may not call you to do, and we understand that. But I do believe after many years of interfacing in the ministry with other Christians, I do believe that there are a few things that are common denominators that we often miss because the Monday through Friday treadmill somehow reduces us to a 115-pound mentality. The Monday through Friday treadmill somehow uh, um, uh, causes us to miss what God is the higher uh, definition, the higher identity of who God wants us to be. These, these conclusions that I have that I'm proposing you today come from many conversations of me asking, well, what do you think God wants in your life? A lot of people, it's a standard question. What is God's will for my life? Well, that's a specific question, but there's some things that we can easily miss if we're not careful. And if we allow God to transform our mind and to renew our mind and give us an identity that's aligned with him, I'm telling you, it can change the way that you act and therefore it will change the way you become. Here's the first one. I believe that we are in, entrusted 
We are the entrusted. Now, you may not be all excited about that word yet, but hopefully you will be. In other words, if I'm entrusting something to you, all of a sudden it's redefined. If I say to Bill, hey, Bill, I got a flat tire and my, my son is extraordinarily sick. Something is happening with him, man. You gotta, you, you gotta get him to the, to the emergency room or maybe he broke his leg or whatever. I'm entrusting him to you. See, when that happens, all of a sudden, I'm defined, I'm redefined like, wow, I'm in the game. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to hover there for a bit today. If you want to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 25. This is a story, by the way, that is familiar to those who know the Gospels. It's, it's a parable. It's a teaching story. It's a story we call the parable of the talents. It's uh, basically a story of an owner who says, I'm, uh, I'm investing in some uh, people here, and then I'm going to see how they do with this investment. And, and, um, but the deeper side of the story is that Christ is, knows that he is going to leave the planet. And so he's trying with, with this crew that's around him, this, the, a crew of ordinary people, he's trying to get them ready and help them to see that they're not just carpenters, that they're not just uh, business people, that they're not just owners of company, and they're not just plumbers, they're not just fishermen, they're not just Monday through Friday, they're not just 115 pounds. You see, culture just says, man, this is only all you are. And Christ is saying, let me tell you a story that you are something. I'm getting ready to take off out of here. And you are higher. You've got to redefine in your mind so that you'll carry out what I've designed you to carry out. Watch Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. The story, Christ begins like this. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. He didn't lend it to them. He didn't rent it to them. He entrusted to him. Now, see, when you read that word entrust, there, there are two parts to it. There's an onus, not a word we use a lot, an onus and an honor. The onus, the definition of onus is that we bear the weight of the responsibility. Bill's going to take my child to the emergency room. I've now given you that weight, that heaviness, that responsibility. And it's an honor when it comes to God. Like, wow, you've invested in us. You've entrusted, you've entrusted to us. I'll give an example. Two-thirds of your Bible is called the Old Testament. You hold in your hands the Old Testament because of the nation of Israel. You see, the nation of Israel, they were entrusted by God to keep this scripture so that you and I in ages and generations afterwards were able to enjoy it and digest it and love it. Watch this. Romans chapter 3 verse 1, Paul writes this. He's describing what, is there any benefit in being, a, was there any benefit in being a Jew? Was there any benefit in the Old Testament? He said, yes, absolutely. Romans 3 verse 1, what advantage, Paul says then, is there in being a Jew? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. Let me tell you what that meant. You see, some people say, you know, um, I don't know what the process was that when God spoke the word originally to guys like Moses and, and how it trickled down to us. Well, let me tell you. 
You see, the Jewish people understood that they had been entrusted with something immensely valuable. And here's how it rolled. They're writing. The scribes are writing. And they're, they're scribing out the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. If they made one just teeny weeny mistake, rip up the page and they start all over again. That's how serious they took it because they understood that they had been entrusted with something of extraordinary value. All that Christians would understand that we have the only saving message on this planet. That if we saw ourselves as the entruster, not we need to see it collectively, but you as an individual would see yourself. I'm entrusted to a message that I must be able to deliver. I must be able to defend. I must be able to share. The challenge in the church culture today, quite frankly, is not a Hebrew word, not a Greek word. It's a Starbucks word, withem. You've heard me say it before. What is withem, you ask? It's W-I-I-F-M. Every employee of Starbucks, we got a couple in the room I see, every, boy, every employee of Starbucks is taught the withem principle. W-I-I-F-M stands for, anybody know it? What's in it for me? In other words, when a customer comes in, it's all about them. It's all about the customer. I walk in Starbucks, and I got the dr- my drink of choice. I never change it. It's a tall, decaf, soy latte, iced with no ice, chilled, filled to the top. You're saying, I bet you can't say that twice. Yes, I can. I've said it many times. It's a tall, decaf, iced soy latte with no ice, chilled, filled to the top with only a half a shot of espresso, I might add. That's because I'm a coffee weenie. Not one single time have I ever spewed out those words in the Starbucks and said, you know, I don't feel like, I don't feel like making that. They, they sometimes say, can you say that again, especially when you're going through the drive-thru? But see, they're trying to accommodate me as a client, as a customer. You see, in the church, we've tried to make it so easy and make it so user-friendly and it's all about you and whatever you want. Sure, 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 sure. And somehow we've lost the value of losing ourselves for the sake of something greater. See, the servants in the story that Jesus is talking about, they relinquished the definition of what they want it to be. They relinquish what their ambitions were, and they say, okay, now that I'm one of the entrusted, now I'm going to act like it, and therefore I'll become like it. Watch this. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, Christ died for all, that those who live, that's us, who live in Christ, should no longer live for themselves. Why? Because you're the entrusted It's not about your job to carry out in life. You have been given the value of God's job. Now it's no longer about me, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Man, there's something that happens. I've seen it so many times. That's like a switch being flipped and a person's like, man, I'm living for God. 
I mean, it's like night and day. It's like the minute before you have a child and the minute after you have a child. There's something that just switches on. It's like the Paul Revere that says, man, he woke up in the morning and shaved just like any other guy. Never knew he was going to take a midnight ride. But there's something that he felt, man, I'm entrusted here. I'm entrusted to save the troops. I'm going to do the midnight ride or I'm going to hop on a horse. I'm going to do something beyond my 115 pounds. Lewis and Clark, these guys, they were entrusted with a job. I was just reading about these guys. Watch this. Lewis and Clark felt an immense responsibility, the onus, the honor, the entrustment to record their observations so minutely, so clearly that any claim based upon their work, watch, could be sustained. Oh, if Christians could say, I'm here, I've been entrusted with a message to be sustained. It would be wrong to see to, 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 that any claim based upon their work could be sustained. It would be wrong to see the venture, the adventure, just as a business trip. Well, I've been hired. I'll do the job. No, they took it heavily. I... I was listening to an interview this past week of a, of a Christian guy. He's now a Christian leader. He speaks in many different locations. He used to be a devout Muslim. And uh, he was solidly in, in his faith. He lived in, in Michigan where the, the Muslim faith has just in, increased exponentially in, 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 uh, in Michigan. He said, but when we first got there, he said, we were like the Muslim family on the block. We were the only ones there. And he said, I began to share my faith like Christians share their faith. I felt wholeheartedly that my faith was right, and therefore I began to share it. Only Muslim family on the block. And he said these words, and I was listening on my iPod walking early in the morning. I literally stopped. And when I heard his words, I said, God, forgive us. God, forgive us. Because here's the words he said. When I shared my faith... I started with the Christians because they were low-hanging fruit. They were the ones, the ones who had been entrusted with the words of God that had no defense for their faith, that had no idea of the difference between Jesus and Muhammad, had no ability to tell me what the difference was to articulate their faith they, in other words, we could say it this way. They were only living like 16 pounds instead of those who had been entrusted with the only word of God. What intersection would it take in our Monday through Friday life to say, Oh, God, redefine my mind, redefine my identity so that I understand who I truly am. He's not going to send some epic intersection we have to ask and pray for that. You see, at the end of this story, these guys in this story, as many of you know, the owner said, I'm, I'm entrusting you. He entrusted a certain amount with a one person and a smaller amount with another person. He had a smaller amount with another person. And two of them came back and said, hey, I've, I've, I've got dividends on your, your investment here. I've increased it. And then the other guy, for some reason, said, man, I was kind of freaked out by the whole thing and scared of you. So I buried it in the ground. You know how the story goes. But I want you to watch the guy that came back who increased who understood something that we should understand. Watch Matthew chapter 25 and verse 20. See, at the end of time, 
Jesus says, the man who had received five talents brought the other five. He had doubled. And here's why. Master, he said, you entrusted me. He got it. You see, this guy understood. You just didn't. I'm just not part of some bigger game here. No, you entrusted something to me. He understood. He was defined. You entrusted me with five talents. I understood that. It changed my life. Friday, man, I was so frustrated. I called my wife and she goes, hey, honey, how's it going? I was like, ah, I could just bite a pencil in half, man. I'm so frustrated. She goes, what is, what is up? And I said, well, here's the deal. You know, we ordered something for Christmas online got a great deal on it for my son for uh, you know for uh, for christmas and so um i i was tracking it it came it came from another country and i'm tracking it you know they give you a tracking number and and so i wanted it to, to be there because the doorbell rings and he runs to it and there's you know the fedex guy because you had to sign for it hey here's your christmas gift you know i was trying to beat him to the punch so I'm tracking this package, and it was supposed to arrive on Friday, and you had to, had to sign for it. And so I've been tracking it all week, and it's moving from this country to this country, and then it came to finally came to the States in Memphis, and then it went from Memphis to Tampa, and then you can see, oh, it's on the truck for delivery, and it's right on time and everything. So my office is right at the front of the house, so, you know, I'm like looking, and you hear a truck, and like, oh, no, that's not it, and you know, all day long, oh, that, no, that's not it. And so, you know, you go to the kitchen, and you're like, okay, you're kind of walking backwards to the kitchen, you know, just keep your eye on the road because sometimes they come and go i'm telling you i went to the bathroom at 227 (laughs) you might ask how did you know it was 227 well i'll tell you when i came back from the bathroom and going into my office i thought let me just check to see you know if if they just left it at the door without me you know signing for it i opened the door you know like this there's my door and i opened it like this and i'm face to face with the sticker you know the the thing they leave say sorry we missed you at 228 i'm like one minute quite frankly i've been holding it all day and in one minute listen don't miss it. We are going to be standing in eternity looking and we will know in full. But one of the things we will know is that we will look back at this life. Snap. It is going to look like a half a mosquito. All the things that make such a big roar in our life. When we're standing like this man did before Christ, the owner We'll look back. It's going to be a flash. It's going to be like a FedEx man who ran. I I swear the man ran to his truck. And I'm not over it yet. Can you tell? (laughs) And in that day, like, do you want to be that person that says, ah, man, I missed my identity. I was entrusted with something great. Right. And all I could worry about was my Monday through Friday life. Take my word for it. Just like that. Now watch this. Not only is that a heavy like responsibility, but Jesus amps it up. Let me tell you how he amps it up. Let's say you're at work. 
and you've got this, you've been entrusted with a task. And you're like, okay, man, the boss is in the next room. I got to get this task done. I got to get, you know, I, I've been entrusted with this. You get that part. You see, Jesus amps it up. And he says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 15, to one, he gave five talents of money to another two talents to another one talent, each according to, a, to his ability. Then he went on a journey. You see, Jesus is saying, look, not only are you, are you the entrusted, I'll tell you the second thing you are. Here's, a, here's an identity that I want you to redefine. You're a proxy. You're a proxy. That means you're standing in my place. You know, we have proxies in our neighborhood association all the time. They know I'm not going to any more of those meetings. And so they send me a notice and say, we're having a big vote. It never seems big to me, like what color are we going to paint some? But we're going to have a vote. And you can send this in with somebody who will be your proxy. In other words, they will carry out your design. Jesus is saying, man, this guy is going on a journey. In other words, here's the deal. Not only are we entrusted with this message, you're it. There is not another you. You, I am the only father, biologically speaking, that my kids have. I am the only one that will father those children. It, it, it is stunning to me when I read the message of a guy like Moses. And when he said, nah, I can't do it. Why in the world did God not pick somebody else? I don't get that. God is like, Moses, I see who you can be. Oh, don't pick me. Pick my brother. I picked you, son. Somewhere in the Hebrew, probably very deep, he probably said, pick my sister. Pick Miriam, my sister, and you let her go. No, I picked you. Take Jonah. Who would have given Jonah a second shot? You know the story of Jonah. God said, man, I've entrusted you with a message. You're the only one. Take it and run with it. And all of a sudden he did, and the big fish swallowed him. We're told in the scriptures that the fish vomited him out on the shore. Now, if I'm God, I'm like, I'm not picking you anymore. I just wanted you to smell like vomit to make a point. I'm moving on. So he says, look, you've been acting like vomit. You smell like vomit, but I picked you and I want you. You are standing in my place. Watch this. It should rivet us. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Second Corinthians 519. Not counting men's sins against them. The more I study about other religions, convicted, by the way, right now, convicted in my ability or inability to articulate to another person of another faith, convicted. That may not be your conviction. I like to be honest about my convictions and what God's doing in my life. So perhaps you'll feel like, okay, if he's convicted and God's working in him. But right now I'm digging deep. I don't know what God is preparing. I don't know what he's about. But there are times when God stirs, you just say yes, and I'm going to go for it. But I'm convicted right now. I think it's because we live in such a postmodern culture where every view is valid, where everybody's got a point of view, where it doesn't matter. And I'm telling you, most people haven't dug deep enough to really come to their conclusions. When you ask a person, I just ask a person across the street, they're a Unitarian. I'm saying, how did you arrive at that? Well, my dad was a Unitarian. I'm like, well, 
have you have you dug deep on why uh, what you believe your destiny where you're going the, the meaning of life all that no not really it represents our culture we must be prepared. We can't be low-hanging fruit. And the deeper I dig down into, into different religions, I'm looking at this statement that God reconciled the world to himself through Christ, not counting men's sins against them. There is no other message of hope like that. We have it. Will we be Simons or will we be Peters? Will we be people that just say, I know, I've heard that. I got the message. Or will we be people that say, okay, I get it. You've entrusted to us this message. And therefore, I'm going to act. I am the proxy. Watch this. You think, I'm not a proxy. Watch this. Second Corinthians 5. And he has committed, entrusted to us. The only message of reconciliation. The only message. He's committed that to us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God of all people were making his appeal of all people through us. Redefine your weight. You're not a 115-pound Christian. You're a two-ton Christian. You have just as much power in you and ability in you to, to change the world like these boys did with Christ, honestly. Finally, I think there's one other thing. I sit across the table from, from many people at, at, at having coffee. And I often ask this question. If you were running at your spiritual optimum, in other words, if you could envision what you were going to be, because when you ask most people, man, are you running at spiritual high octane? No, not, not, not really. That's, that's the way most people answer. What would it look like? What would it look like? Who would you be? What would your identity be? What would you be doing if you were running at full RPM spiritually? Here are the typical answers. I'd be reading my Bible more. Good answer. Good answer. That'd be great if you read your Bible more. 19% of evangelicals pick up their Bible. Oh, my goodness. Entrusted. Some people say, yeah, I'd pray more. I'd spend more time with God. Excellent answer. I love that. Rarely, if ever, does someone define themselves as a multiplier. I see myself as a multiplier, as a discipler, as, a, as someone who witnesses and and begins to increase like Christ is saying. You see, Christ is saying, I'm giving you this. I'm entrusting this. You're the only ones. You're speaking on my behalf. You're my proxies. But I've done it so that you'll know that you are a multiplier. When I ask most Christians, have you ever discipled anyone in your life? 99.9% .9 say never. I believe it's because we've 
fooled ourselves in thinking, well, I don't know the Bible all that well. How could I? I still got some hangups in my life. How could I? May I remind us once again of the Moseses and the Jonas and the Peters and all those folks that God has used. See, there's, there's a gleam that I want to talk to you about today as we kind of cap this off. There's a gleam that I'm pouring my heart out to you so that you'll have this gleam. What, what gleam are you talking about? There is a gleam in the eyes of multipliers. When I'm meeting with some and they're pouring their life into others, when they're sharing their faith in, in reasonable and intelligent and effective ways, when they're discipling others, when they've got a Timothy in their life and they're really building them up, there's a gleam in their life that is missing from all the rest that have somehow managed to define their identity as a Christian, as a taker, as a receiver, as a Simon. I've heard a lot. I keep hearing a lot. I keep listening. I keep receiving. I'm a recipient. And God said, may I redefine that? You're a giver-outer. You're a multiplier. You can do great things. Watch this. A three-letter word that is riveting. Watch this. At the end of the story, the man who had five talents shows up representing us standing before Christ. Matthew chapter 25, verse 20. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. He said, Master, you've entrusted me with five talents. Here's the word. See? See? See what I've, see what you've done through me? That's the gleam. Oh, to God, that when we stand before him with the investment that he's entrusted us with, knowing that we're his proxy on earth, that we stand before him with a gleam in our eye and we say, Christ, see, see what you have done with a willing moron who said you can do it. Oh, that three letter word. I pray, I pray that you will be able to say those words When you see Christ, you think, man, honestly, Steve, you're way, way overestimating me. Really? Here's a verse that I, some people say, what's your key verse? I really don't have one, but this could work. Watch this, Acts 4.13. See, the apostles were doing amazing things. And when the crowd saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Christ. They took note that these ordinary men were playing ten times their size. I know of men and women that walk this planet that are alive right now that have everything against them, but they're playing for Christ because they understand their identity as those who have been entrusted, as proxies of those who are standing in the place of Christ, as his ambassador, as a multiplier. They see and they understand that. This past weekend, yesterday in fact, I um, was with a bunch of guys at this place called Triumph. Have you ever heard of that? Triumph is this large piece of property, and it's basically an obstacle course off the ground. 
In other words, there are rope ladders, there are swinging ropes, there's, uh, I mean, and, and so when you start out, you, you, you have uh, these uh, things that you bolt into, uh, what do they call belay things, whatever, uh, I, I'm an expert, and then, uh, at any rate, you have to bolt all the way around, you have to, you know, put these things so you don't fall off because you're up 30, 40, 50, 60 feet in the air. But when you first start, they, they take you out back and they show you this 10-minute video, and the 10-minute video uh, is followed by this little training area. And the training area is, uh, it's like a piece of cake. You're like, you know, afterwards, like, this is going to be a no-brainer, not, not a problem at all. It's like when you take the SAT, you know, and they give you that little test question before you flip the page and they start the, the stop clock, you know what I mean? And, the, for example, they'll say, here's one word followed by four words. Now, you pick the, the word out of the four that's the opposite of the one that we put at the top. So we'll put at the top like hot, followed by cat, baseball bat, cold, and basement. You're thinking, I'm feeling good about this, right? This is awesome. You get your number two pencil. Somebody that looks really official says, okay, ready, begin. And you flip it, and the first word has 28 letters. Oxymacacalashi. I'm like, what happened to hot? That's the way it was yesterday. You do this little thing, training camp, you kind of strut, you know. In the, so then you, you move to the, to the obstacle course and you climb up and then you start. The first one was galaxies away from the training camp. And so when you're going through, I mean, it's brutal. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is the first of five levels. <laughs> Brutal. In the training film, they say, if you get in trouble, say, here's what you yell out. Guide, guide, guide. Because there are guides all around. And they will come and rescue you. And they'll climb up and they'll belay you down. And so, you know, you're with a bunch of guys and you say, if you get in trouble and you arrest you, you know, you give it one of those. Like, <laughs> yeah, your mama's rescued, right? You're not going to. I got to the end of the first level, man. I'm like, oh, my word. Really? Five levels? So, But, you know, you kind of keep quiet. You're with a bunch of guys. You're trying to hang tight and everything. We go to the second level, and there was a girl that right in front of us that needed to be rescued. <laughs> you know, we're still doing that. <laughs> she had to be rescued, right? We come up across the fourth level. Dude, I'm toast. We got, a, we got about ten guys together going through this together. Come, now, when you between the level four and level five, it's the first one they've given you the option to get out of. So you kind of have a feel where five is going, right? Nope. We just like lambs to slaughter. We just said, hey, let's just, let's keep on rolling. I mean, I was hanging on my last thread. We got into level five and all of us made it through except me. I'm hanging off this cargo thing, net, and 
my, my friend who was right in front of me says, keep it high. That's how you can make it across. Keep high, keep high. And I just kept sinking to the very lowest part of the net. I'm on the bottom of the cargo net, right? I'm like, guide, guide, guide. I'm a grown man. I don't mind crying in public. I was done. You see, we have a mantra at our wall. When you think you're done, you're not. I was done. I was well done. I didn't have another fiber left in my fingers. I'm like, that's it. So they call on this guy, and somebody had told his, me, uh, him his, my name uh, and our team. Uh, and that's probably part of the tactics when someone's going mayday, right? And so I, I'm literally, you know, <sighs> like this, and I hear, Steve. I'm like, it's God. <laughs> he has better timing than the FedEx man. Perfect timing, God. Oh, I look around and God's wearing a red t-shirt. I'm like, nah, it's just one of the staff. And so he looks at me. He says, Steve, do you need help? Do you need rescued? There was zero hesitation. Yes. <laughs> he was standing on a platform. I was like 10 feet away from him. He said, can you make it over to me or do I need to come out? I'm like, come on out. Come on out. <laughs> there were high school girls behind us giggling. <laughs> really not funny. So he came, brought me out, lowered me down about 60 feet to the ground. I had no shame, my friend. Went right to the snack bar. There are people right around us who are on their last thread. Last thread. Who are saying, oh, if someone had a message of rescue. And we are the only ones who have it. It is not self-help. It is not a destinous future. It is not one that you have to work yourself up and just hope to God that you make it, that you're good enough. We have a message of reconciliation that we've been entrusted with, that Christ, who became a servant and laid himself on a cross, that he became that much of a servant for us so that he died and he rose again so that men's sins were not counted against them. You're part of the rescue. And we must see ourselves in that way. Don't let culture define who you are. Don't let your 115-pound mentality define who you are. Let Christ define who you are. You're entrusted. You're my proxy. You're a multiplier. And Christ will say, go. And you'll say, see. See. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the call on everyone's life. God, I know that you move 
in unique ways, God, in each of us. You call a Moses, you call a Peter. But there is some common denominator, God, in all of us that claim to be followers of Christ. Today, I first pray, God, that we won't remain in this spiritual game as Simon's. As those who have heard and heard and heard and heard the message. And yet we miss the fact, God, that you have entrusted to us of all people, wherever our square on the chessboard is, to multiply. God, I pray for those whose past would drag them down and impact them so negatively right now in the present. I pray that you'll convince them, God, that they're forgiven, that they're usable, that they're multipliers. Thank you, God, for using people like this in the Bible to prove to us that you're not just after the high and holy. I pray, God, for those who have heard so much that they are saturated with your word and yet somehow, God, have never moved out, have never begun to act like those who are entrusted, like a person who has been entrusted speaking on behalf of Christ to multiply this one and only invaluable eternal message of reconciliation, God. I pray, Father, that for those that feel inadequate, that couldn't find certain books in the Bible or quote certain passages or don't know a lot, that somehow they've reduced themselves to about a 115-pound Christian. I pray, Father, that your spirit would move and redefine us so that in turn we'll act like the people that you've called us to be. And finally, Father, I pray that you will cause us to hear the cries, even if they're silent, the cries of those who are hanging on the ropes, and they really are done with nowhere to turn. I pray, God, that we'll come right out to them that we won't be about with them, but God, that we'll no longer live to ourselves. God, thank you today as we end our time together for entrusting us with this wonderful, incredible, life-changing message. Oh God, may we live up to it. Oh God, may at the end of time, with a gleam in our eye, we will turn to you and look at you face in the face and just say, see, see what you have done and what you have multiplied. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.